proactively protecting public health in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org For Radio Catskill, this is Rosie Starr. Welcome to Farm and Country, locally produced radio about rural life in the Catskills and the Delaware River Valley. On today's show, Keith Hubbard's Star Talk Report highlights viewing the moon and Jupiter this week in the eastern evening sky. Fly fisher Mike Canonico speaks to us about his passion using an antique bamboo rod. Wayne County Commissioner Brian Smith shares his sentiments on transitioning from dairy farmer to raising beef and keeping Belgian horses. And Reggie Hilrieger from Mountain Ash Farm expresses his love for dependable Oliver tractors. All of that coming up on today's Farming Country. But first, news headlines from NPR. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Nora Rahm. Former President Trump is to make his first public appearances today since his indictment on federal charges. He's to appear at rallies in Georgia and North Carolina. When he took to his social media platform Thursday to say he had been indicted, he suggested he faced seven counts. Now we know it's 37. Special counsel Jack Smith says Trump personally packed boxes retrieved from Florida and bragged about having secret materials. NPR's Deepa Shivaram has more. Special counsel Jack Smith said he wanted a speedy trial in Florida where the case will now move. He also emphasized that no one is above the law. The 37 charges against Trump include willful retention of national defense information, conspiracy to obstruct justice, and false statements. The indictment includes damning evidence against Trump and states two instances where Trump showed classified documents to people who did not have any kind of security clearance to view them. One of those times Trump showed classified documents was to a writer and admitted it was, quote, highly confidential. Trump is speaking at two GOP events today on the campaign trail and is expected to be at the courthouse in Miami on Tuesday afternoon. Deepa Shivaram, NPR News, Washington. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who is also running for the Republican nomination for president, spoke at the North Carolina Republican Convention last night. Without referring to Trump by name, he decried what he called the weaponization of federal law enforcement. I think there needs to be one standard of justice in this country. Let's enforce it on everybody and make sure we all know the rules. You can't have one faction of society weaponizing the power of the state against factions that it doesn't like. And that's what we've seen. Of the declared Republican presidential hopefuls, only former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson has said Trump should withdraw from the race. Russian President Vladimir Putin says his country will begin deploying tactical nuclear weapons to neighboring Belarus as soon as next month. NPR's Charles Maines reports from Moscow. In a televised meeting with Belarusian strongman Alexander Lukashenko in the resort city of Sochi, Putin said the weapons would arrive in early July once new storage facilities to house the Russian weapons were in place. Putin first announced plans to deploy tactical nuclear weapons in Belarus in March. The West has condemned the move as provocative. Putin argues Moscow is simply matching U.S. nuclear deployments to American allies in Europe. The move is also likely to renew concerns Belarus could become more deeply involved in Russia's war with Ukraine. Belarus served as a staging ground for Russian troops ahead of the invasion last year, but has stopped short of direct participation in the conflict. Charles Maines, NPR News, 
Moscow. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau made an unannounced visit to Kyiv today. He said Canada is sending another $375 million in military aid. This is NPR. This is Rosie Starr. Welcome back to Farm and Country. Coming up on today's show, New York fly fisher Mike Canonico speaks to us about his passion using an antique bamboo rod. We chatted on April 1st at this season's opening day's event in Roscoe, New York. Then Wayne County Commissioner Brian Smith shares his sentiments on transitioning from dairy farmer to raising beef and keeping Belgian horses. He was attending this year's Wayne County Agricultural Day in May. From the 2022 Calicoon Tractor Parade, local hay and beef farmer Reggie Hillregal from Mountain Ash Farm expresses his love for dependable Oliver tractors. But first, here's Keith Hubbard with this week's Star Talk Report. Thank you for joining us on Radio Catskill for this week's locally produced farm and country. For farm and country, I'm Keith Hubbard, and this is Star Talk. The Moon and Jupiter will be very close to each other in the sky on Wednesday. They will be separated by only one and a half degrees, but that's still too far to view them through a telescope at once. The duo will be in the eastern sky a couple hours before sunrise. They will be visible starting at 3.30 a.m. and will remain visible until sunrise. The waning crescent moon will be just a thin sliver on Jupiter's left-hand side. Through binoculars or a telescope, the craters that lie along the line separating the lighted side of the moon from the darkened side of the moon will stand out in sharp relief. Jupiter will be off to the right of the moon. If you have a telescope, keep it out and train it on Jupiter next. Through a telescope capable of magnifying objects 25 times, the gas bands of Jupiter and the great red spot will be visible. The Great Red Spot is a hurricane-like storm that has been on Jupiter for at least 400 years. Its winds gust to 268 miles per hour, and it can engulf three Earths. Also present around Jupiter will be its four Galilean moons. On the left side of Jupiter and going out from the planet will be Io, Europa, and Callisto. Ganymede will be on the right side of Jupiter. Look to the eastern sky Wednesday morning to see the moon and Jupiter one and a half degrees apart. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future Star Talk segments, my email address is startalk at farmandcountry.org. For Farm and Country and Star Talk, this has been Keith Hubbard reminding you to keep looking up. Radio Catskill wasn't fooling when they asked me to attend opening day of the fly fishing season that happens every year on April 1st at the site of Junction Pool in Roscoe, New York. After the first cast with Ahu, 
I scouted around to different locations to find this jewel. Inside the local school, there were seasoned fly-fisher folk casting with antique bamboo rods. I took the opportunity to speak to some of the participants. Good morning. My name is Mike Canonico, and I'm a member of the museum and also other organizations of Fly Tires Guild. And uh, this morning, what we have here is just a group of people that bring bamboo rods and open it up for anyone who wants to come and cast and see how pretty the bamboo rods are now, how well they cast. Well, you're holding one in your hand, and it is quite beautiful, so describe this to us. This would be an F.E. Thomas rod, and it was probably built uh, probably 100 years ago, and it's eight and a half foot for a four weight, and it's just as nice as the day it left the factory. Um, Can you give us a little bit of history behind this kind of thing? If it's bamboo, maybe it's originally how people fished? Probably. Bamboo used for these comes from a province in China called the Tonkin province, and that's the only place it grows. The bamboo is imported, and then craftsmen here go about building a rod. The average rod has probably 80 to 90 hours of handwork in it. And the rod was built 100 years ago and is still as functional as the day it left the factory. It is quite beautiful. It has lacquer and looks like some cork. And describe even the handle. Well, the handle is on this particular rod is nickel silver that's been fashioned to hold the reel on. The cork is hand-turned. The rod is built of six individual strips of bamboo that have been tapered and planed and then glued together. And then it's coated with a coat of varnish. And uh, it has metal ferrules, nickel-silver ferrules, and they're things of beauty. And life is too short to fish with an ugly fishing rod. So. <laughs> well, what is the advantage to a rod like this? The advantage is the way it feels. You know, if you uh, cast one of these rods, it feels like it's alive. Where modern rods made out of modern materials they do a great job of casting and shooting line. This rod will not shoot line, it will cast line. There's a difference, just in the feel of it. And like I said, life's too short to fish with ugly fishing rods. Do you use a special line here? There, well, there's a fly line, because the fly itself weighs nothing. So basically what you have is a thicker line, and you cast the weight of that line. At the end of that line, you put a leader made out of basically regular fishing line, and that's tapered also. The line is tapered, comes to a finer point. And the leader is tapered and comes to a finer point at the end. And that just basically helps with the transfer of the energy when you cast the line. Um, and do you use a dry fly? You use dry flies, wet flies, nymphs, streamers. Some people only fish with one particular type of fly. Other people fish with whatever it takes to catch a fish. Has anyone ever caught that two-headed trout with one of these things? Not yet. Nope, it's still in Junction Pool. <laughs> Well, it looks like you have quite a gathering of guests here. It's men and women. Mm -hmm. Erin Phelan over there has built her own rods. She worked at the museum for years. Yeah, all kinds of people. Mm -hmm. What inspires you to do this? It's my passion. And I've always fished and then found fly fishing and found all these wonderful people associated with it. And Mm -hmm. it's just, it's what I do now. It's a good thing about being retired. And you're retired in Roscoe. Uh, Well, actually, I live in Middletown. Mm 
I'm retired and been retired for 11 years now from the police department there. So, How do you find the waters of the Western Catskills? Perfect. Perfect. doesn't get any better. No matter what, you can fish any kind of water you want. You can fish big water, small water. The West Branch is big water. The big Delaware is big water. And then you can fish small streams also. So. I'm watching this gentleman over mm-hmm. here. He's got quite the cast. Yep, yep. That's Jerry McVicker. And he uh, he built that rod that he's casting. And he's another retiree living the dream right now. He's the entire length of this gymnasium. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, that, and that's not even a real long cast. If you want to see a long cast, you'd have to go outside. And someone like that gentleman over there on putting rods together, he can cast the entire fly line, which is 90 feet. It's quite impressive. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me. I'm going to take some pictures if that's okay. okay. Thank you so much. No problem. Have a good day. You too. Look forward to hearing more of my conversations with fly fishers on Radio Catskills Farming Country. In the meantime, check out the WJFFradio.org website for the interview with bamboo cane fly fisher Kevin that aired on Saturday, April 15th between 11 a.m. and noon. For Radio Catskill, this is Rosie Starr. Wayne County Commissioner Brian Smith shares his sentiments on transitioning from dairy farmer to raising beef and keeping Belgian horses. He was attending this year's Wayne County Agricultural Day in May. I have a gentleman in front of me. He's going to introduce himself, and we know each other. Mr. Smith, I call him. We're both Wayne County residents. But he has a wonderful little story here. I know he used to keep dairy cows, but now he says he's beef, but he also has horses. So please introduce yourself and tell me, you made a transition in your farm. Yeah, I'm I'm Commissioner Brian Smith. I've been a commissioner now. I'm in my 16th year. But I was a lifelong dairy farmer here in Wayne County. Uh, Raised a family there, six kids. Now I have 16 grandchildren. I'm going to have to get choked up here. I'm sorry. But, uh, you know, agriculture means a lot to me. And so um, I watched a couple of my kids work with us on the farm, try to make a go of it, and it just didn't work out for them. You know, the pricing of milk isn't conducive to staying in the business anymore, which really bothers me. I'd like to see that get changed. But, you know, particular to my own story here. I do raise beef now on the farm and uh, I also have horses and the nice thing is is I have work horses. I have a buggy that's a pretty big buggy. I take my kids and my grandkids around the block at least twice a week in the summertime and I want to implement horses more and more into our farming operation because it just intrigues me. And working with work horses is a real pleasure and it's a it's a peace of mind for me, you know. It gets me out in the field and there's not a lot of noise and it's just a nice way to farm. So farming still to me is near and dear to my heart. We're at the fair. We have an ag day going on. There's a lot of people giving seminars here today on sustainable agriculture. We have opportunities coming to our area. I've just heard from a Mennonite pasture that we have some organic egg laying operations that would be interested in coming to our area and putting up barns and you have to have pasture fed chickens but it is another opportunity here. So uh, we're always welcome to new opportunities. We want to see these kids coming out of school, get engaged in agriculture, get 
right back on the farm. We know we have a lot of elderly farmers who are looking to retire or turn their farm over to the next generation, and we'd like to see that turnover be to people who still want to farm and not just turn into housing here. We're trying to retain our culture and our heritage and think we're doing a pretty good job of it. Well, it sounds like it's a, a perfect setup for the future farmers of America. Yeah, FFA is back in the schools. We're going to work with uh, Western Wayne and Wall Paul Pack, try to get chapters back there again. You know, Future Farmers of America was put into place uh, in our school districts across America after the Dust Bowl to teach kids how to farm once again, how to grow food, how to grow pork and beef and chicken. And uh, it was pretty instrumental in turning this country around then. And I think it's going to be pretty instrumental in having people learn how important agriculture is to them in the future here too now so a lot of good things going on let's get back to those horses and the beef cattle what kind of cattle are you raising and where does the beef go can people locally source it so yeah um so i'm actually talking to Commissioner Jim Shook about that very thing because we grow some very good beef here in Wayne County and we have a USDA slaughterhouse and if you can get your beef slaughtered USDA, it can actually be marketed in the local supermarkets. So as grass-fed beef, in the summertime in Wayne County, our population doubles because of the camp population and because of summer people coming in uh, to vacation here. So there's a great opportunity to sell beef right here in our local supermarkets. And all we have to do is go down that path of getting them uh, butchered by USDA-inspected slaughterhouse. When you also have an initiative that's maybe not into the too distant future, a big food hub, a distribution network? An Ag Innovation Center. So this has been a, a process that's been in the works for quite some time now. You know, we started off with Wayne Tomorrow. We started off identifying uh, what we consider to be uh, common ground that everybody can work on. So it doesn't matter what your political beliefs are, you're, you're going to eat food, right? So the nice thing is we can get people that can work together, and we've gotten our school districts to buy in, and agriculture's been something we've been working on for quite some time. And the one step between the kids getting out of school and actually being productive agriculture producers on the farm is ag innovation, right? And ag innovation is a lot of things. It's connecting consumers directly with those farm products. It's getting people that want to produce food new opportunities to produce food and being able to deliver food to the consumer through uh, different processes. One thing that the pandemic taught us was that a lot of people don't want to take their family into a supermarket. So if we can have a food locker system where food is actually delivered to your locker, you have a key for your locker, it's got cold storage in it, and all you have to do is drive up, open your door, take what you ordered out, put it in your car, close the door, and drive away, then you can take your kids to the supermarket without a whole lot of trouble. And that's significant. If you've got kids that aren't feeling well, if you've got a pandemic going on, if there's a lot of, th- lot of reasons why you may not want to go into a supermarket with a tribe of children. So, um, yeah, we're pretty interested in trying to get this in place. Uh, one of our obstacles is always the finances to do it, but we try to get grant money to do all these things. Uh, one thing that's happening and unfortunate that, you know, the per square foot cost of putting up a building is continually higher and higher and higher. 
But I think even uh, Secretary Redding will tell you that Wayne County is really a model uh, when it comes to working together, when it comes to trying to create opportunity, when it comes to innovation. And I think that there's enough grant money out there that we could probably see that project through without taxing or coming up with any local dollars. That's what we're trying to do. Okay, very well put and very understandable. Let's get back to the horses. Tell me about the species or variety of horses that you have. Well, so we have a lot of riding horses, uh, and um, I think on the farm right now we have 18 different horses. Uh, the ones I'm particularly proud of are those work horses. They're Belgian horses. Belgian horses have a long history of being some of the strongest horses per pound in the United States and even in the old country. They're blonde. They have blonde manes and blonde tails. They're beautiful horses. They're calm. They stand good to be harnessed. You know, they're very easy to work with. They're good with the children. So, um, again, I'm particularly proud of those horses but a riding horses are also something i'm proud of my kids are involved in 4-h and the grandkids especially are involved in 4-h now i have a riding horse that's standard bred arabian he's a beautiful tall horse that he looks like the one george washington rode so i'm particularly proud of him but uh, my wife has a horse that's a kentucky mountain horse he's a gated horse he rides beautifully too we actually go camping with our horses and take them other places and time to a high line overnight and go out on full day rides down to Lancaster. So, you know, it's just a hobby pretty much, but uh, I really enjoy it. And, and it's particularly pleasing to me to see the grandchildren get involved in riding horses. You know, they learn a bond between an animal and themselves. They learn responsibilities, just like working on the farm again, really. Consequence, they learn that if you don't take care of your animal, if you don't do the right things with that animal, then that animal's not there for you when you need them. It's a work ethic that we're instilling upon our children and our grandchildren that hopefully goes on for generations around here. Well, I know you're in Wayne County up there high in the farmland. Are these horses out in the pasture from when you go down the road? and part of the farming country landscape? Yeah, absolutely, though. So I keep my workhorses pretty much by the road. The riding horses are just a little bit off the road, but often people are stopping, taking pictures. It's really a beautiful sight to see. So, And the beef cattle are right there, too, you know, and a lot of people want to see, where's my beef grown? How are they taken care of? What do they look like? Everybody's always welcome to just drive down the road and at least see those animals and know that they're very well taken care of, and uh, I'm proud of that. Thank you so much, Commissioner Smith, for taking the time to speak with Farm and Country. Oh, you're welcome, and thank you for the interview, and thank you for being here today. A lot of good things going on here at Ag Day. Yes, let's go join them. Thank you. For Radio Catskill, this is Rosie Starr. I'm sharing a bit of fun here, captured at the 2022 Calico Tractor Parade. We're all lined up here. With all kinds of tractors, and there's a gentleman who was standing in front of his tractor. Tell me your name. Reggie Hellrigal. Hello, Reggie. From, from Mountain Ash Farm. Oh, Mountain Ash Farm. Tell me about that. Where is well, that? Oh, it's right up here on County Road 131, just out of Calicoon. We drive our tractors down here every year, and uh, we totally enjoy this family get-together down here and with all the neighbors. And... We uh, sell hay, and we also have uh, beef cattle on the farm. Okay. Well, that sounds like you're busy. This is a busy time of the year, and it's a beautiful day over here. What kind of tractor do you have? Well, we have mostly all Olivers. My father was an Oliver dealer for many years, so it kind of rubbed off. I kind of look over the tractors and maintain them and service them. Well, tell me, is there anything 
a Mount Oliver's that are more special than other tractors for what you do? Well, the simple fact is they don't make them anymore, and they were made in Charles City, and they're very dependable, rugged, a lot of steel, heavyweight, and they're quite famous over the years for great pulling tractors at the pulling events. Well, I have to say, the first tractor parade that I ever went to, I fell in love with a 1951 Oliver. It was just had primer paint on it, gray, and uh, I have a special spot in my heart for that. Well, that's wonderful. You keep that spirit up. <laughs> well, let's see how your tractor's doing this year. All right. They're doing all f- fine. We, went on, we always go over them all before we bring them to the parade. Dig them out of the buildings and uh, wash the dust off of them and uh, hope that everybody enjoys seeing them here at the parade every year. I noticed that there was a little tractor directly across from you with a young man, Zach, in that tractor. Yes, that is a wheel horse tractor, and I was a wheel horse dealer for many years. So just about all my grandchildren and great-grandchildren have customized wheel horse tractors painted to the color that they want. Is that young man your grandchild? Yes, he is. He's my great-grandson. Oh, my goodness. He works on the farm, too? He helps out when he can. When he can do it. Yep, yep. We enjoy having all the kids around. Oh, good. Well, thank you for taking the time to speak with us, and let's take keep walking down this beautiful parade. It's a it's an entire walkway of all kinds of... I love this farm all one here with this seat. Do you know about this tractor? No, I don't know any... Not too much about the farm malls, except that my father used to take a few in on trade when he was in the business, and uh, we would go through them, and I would get to drive them around a little bit to make sure everything worked properly. This is a 1964 Oliver. Yeah, 54. That's an Oliver 500. That's uh, quite a unique tractor right there. What's unique about it? What does it do? What does it do? It does everything a regular farm tractor would do. It's got the three-point hitch, and uh, that particular one here is a diesel, which makes it very economical to run. More so than a gas job, tractors. The color is real green. It looks like spring grass. Yes, that is uh, Oliver Meadow Green, and the white is uh, Oliver Clover White on the wheels and the grills. Okay, let's keep going. Oh, look at these. Are these toy tractors? Those are toy tractors on that trailer. That's pretty interesting the way they got that set up and i'm sure in the parade there'll be some small little people on there oh there's always the biggest tractor at the head of the parade what is this this oliver here i know the gentleman he doesn't live too far from where our farm is and his name is harlan wood and he has quite a collection of oliver tractors and bulldozers And he even has old steam tractors also. Oh, that might be a great sound, a steam tractor. (laughs) 
I'm sharing a bit of fun here captured at the 2022 Calicoon Tractor Parade in anticipation of the 2023 Calicoon Tractor Parade on June 11th, beginning at noon. Details available online, DelawareYouthCenter.org Tractor Parade. The sound of a Farmall, McCormick Farmall tractor. 1961 Farmall. show this week with production by Radio Catskill volunteer Keith Hubbard. Special thanks goes to our guests, Bamboo Rod Fly Fisher, Mike Canonico, Wayne County Commissioner Brian Smith, and Reggie Hillrigger from Mount Nash Farm. This has been your host, Rosie Starr. Thanks for listening local to farming country and supporting Radio Catskill, public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Listen on air at 90.5 FM, on your phone or smart speaker, or online at wjffradio.org. Support for Farm and Country comes from Damascus Citizens for Sustainability a community-supported, science-based nonprofit taking legal actions, providing tools for action, and raising awareness of fracking damage since 2008, proactively protecting public health in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org Hi, this is Laura Flanders, and you can catch The Laura Flanders Show, which I produce right here in a cabin in Sullivan County every Monday night at 7 p.m. on Radio Catskill. You'll hear interviews with social critics, artists, activists, and entrepreneurs, forward thinkers who are building tomorrow's world today. Deep conversations about change with the leading thinkers and doers of our time. That's The Laura Flanders Show, Monday night, 7 p.m., right here on Radio Catskill, public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania.